0: Welcome to the City and Guild's Green Edge podcast with Dr. Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper.
1: There is no part of our economy and no part of our society that will not be touched by the transition that is underway and needs to accelerate. As the green skills agenda becomes more prominent across other industries and we are seeing it all the time, we at City and Guilds believe this is not just imperative but also our responsibility to ensure that we upskill people to transition to a healthy economy and develop specific training and skills for the green economy.
0: I'm Fraser Harper of the Green Edge, and it's my pleasure to present this City and Guild's Green Edge podcast. In the introduction there, you heard Martin Baxter, Deputy CEO at the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment, IEMA, and Gayathri Sudha Karan, City and Guild's Executive Director of Products and Services, telling us about the scale of the move towards a sustainable planet and what City and Guild sees as its part in supporting that and the transition towards a green economy. Now, regular readers and listeners to The Green Edge will know that back in June of this year, Michael and I were delighted to announce we'd just been appointed to collaborate with City and Guilds on a major new initiative to define its Green Skills and Qualifications Roadmap. The project is now well underway, and in this short series of special podcasts, we'll be reflecting on some of the work we've been doing and some of the conversations we've been having. We'll be publishing new episodes of this special podcast every couple of months or so, and these will run alongside our weekly Green Edge updates, which will be continuing as usual. Let me bring in my colleague on the Green Edge, Dr. Michael Cross, at this point. Michael, in the project, we're very much working from the top down. And one of the first conversations we had was with Tony Wilson, who is director of the Institute of Employment Studies, IES, about the big picture of the UK labour market. What did we learn from Tony? We learned
2: several things from Tony. The biggest piece we learned was the change in the size of the growth of the labour market in the UK. For the first 20 years of this century, it has been growing at nearly 300,000 people per year. Now, that rate of growth for the next 20 years, from 2020 to 2040, will drop to something like 120 to 135,000 a year. But we've also got to recognize that COVID withdrew potentially 400,000 people from the labor market. And therefore, that boosted the inactive but work eligible people to about 2.5 million people in this country. That's a big chunk of people out of a labor market of around 30, 32 million. And therefore, we have really interesting challenges around the reskilling and re entry of people back into the labor market. And these sort of changes are on top of the big drivers for change within the labour market.
0: Right. And those big drivers for change include an ageing population, lower migration, and broader demographic changes. Uh, For example, Tony talked about the Gen Xs, the kids of the baby boomers starting to move into retirement. And this is pretty significant, isn't it, in terms of pointing towards a really tough time for employers and for people delivering skills programmes?
2: It is very significant because it starts to point directions of some of the skilling strategies that will have to be adopted and the nature of the employment services and the sorts of qualifications and training programs to help reacquaint people with their old trades and old skills and also equip them to enter new trades and new career pathways. And in particular, you've got the big drivers coming in there around the focus from a government point of view and society point around productivity, but also the drive that's being driven by digital, AI, robotics, automation, the greening of the economy, and some of the wider issues that are changing the labour market. And I'm talking about geopolitical changes that are changing how people actually source materials. And therefore, people are onshoring certain activities to have greater stability and certainty of the supply chain. It's
0: a new normal, really, isn't it?
2: Yes, a new normal, which is rather unstable and quite difficult to predict. And if you take some of the conversations we've had on just aspects of the change around net zero, is the need to see different types of organisation emerge to actually meet some of the skills requirements. And we'll just take one example around heat pumps. The current structure of how we actually operate that market both in skills, deployment, installation, and the like, is going to have to be reshaped. And that will have skill implications as we go forward.
0: Now, we've already talked about some of the demographic shifts that will affect the labor market over the next few years. And Michael also mentioned other transitions and disruptions like the ongoing march of the digital revolution with things like automation, robotics, and AI, together with the trade shift brought about by Brexit, and of course, net zero and the greening of the economy. And Michael, another conversation we had early in the project was with Professor Dave Ray, who is Executive Director of the Edinburgh Climate Change Institute and was a member of the Green Jobs Task Force back in 2021. And Dave talked to us about the numbers of people we're going to need across the UK for the green transition.
2: He did. He broke them down in two ways. One was the Net number of additional jobs coming in as a direct result of net zero. And they range between about 135,000 and 725,000. But Dave also made reference to a broader piece of work done by the Climate Change Committee that actually identified about 20% of the labour market will be directly impacted by net zero. And a further 20% will be then directly impacted and will be seen as facilitators and enablers as well for net zero. So together, that is 12 million people in the current
0: labour market. So a large part of that. Well, let's hear from Dave on the subject of his work with the CCC.
3: We brought together a lot of the estimates which have been done over the last few years on the magnitude of this. And it will be somewhere between 135,000, which was our lower estimate that we picked up to 725,000 net new jobs and that net is crucial we hear quite a lot about the green or net zero transition meaning risk to jobs but actually the net effect is, a, is an increase in jobs and that's something which uh, is a huge opportunity
0: now dave s- did stress that these were net new jobs michael you've already mentioned that but just take us over that again
2: yes dave was very clear to make the point that these are net new jobs i.e additional new jobs. And the totals, depending on how the economy grows and how we actually seize the opportunity and the rate of growth, could range between 135,000 and around 725,000. Some people put that upper number, even up towards possibly a million.
0: Next on the agenda was to consider how the policy process has evolved for green skills and jobs, particularly through the Green Jobs Task Force and the Green Jobs Delivery Group. Michael, tell us about those in a nutshell. Well, the Green Jobs Task Force was challenged to look at the
2: size of the prize. Where is the impact? Where are the skills? How many jobs? And to give a quick rundown on that. And then the Green Jobs Delivery Group, was to pick up that report and run with it and translate it into a deliverable plan and actually then see through how we would skill up the relevant numbers of people to allow net zero to be achieved. And they're doing that in the detail side through a series of tasks and delivery groups, starting with power and energy in the networks, And the methodology being established there is working its way through other sectors.
0: Now, as I said earlier, Professor Dave Ray was a member of the Green Jobs Task Force, and he also sits on one of the task and finish groups that Michael mentioned there for the Green Jobs Delivery Group. Let's hear from Dave again on these.
3: The Green Jobs Delivery Group was set up that's gone through a few iterations. I sit on one of its subgroups, and the idea of all the subgroups, so they cover different sectors of the economy so there's one focused on energy and one on built environment etc is to feed into that green jobs delivery group and their net zero and nature skills action plan which will come out next year
0: so the skills action plan will be a big thing for 2024 michael and then in england we also have the local skills improvement plans many of which include green skills so how will all that fit together
2: That's a very good question. I think it's a very complex picture of how we get national demand measuring and merging with local perceptions of their local specific needs as well. And I think the additional complicating factor here is the big development of local energy action plans as well, where people are looking at how do you actually move a whole community, whole city towards net zero and that obviously has big skill implications. And the, the three sets of numbers that will come out of that will need to be put together to create local plans on a workforce basis.
0: So somebody needs to sort together the patchwork quilt. Very much so. The next part of the project we're moving into now is to look at the various Green Skills Frameworks. Now, we've already written and talked about these quite a bit on the green edge. And of course, for an organisation like City and Guilds, the question is how to fix on what we might regard as a definitive framework and then timeline that in terms of which skills will be needed when so that a roadmap of qualifications and services can be put together. And an important starting point for all this is to get a consistent definition of green jobs and green skills. Well, for green jobs, I think
2: where people are landing, and I think this is true at ONS across society and and at City and Guilds, is that used by the Green Jobs Task Force. And their definition of green jobs was employment in an activity that directly contributes to or indirectly supports the achievement of the UK's net zero emissions target and other environmental goals such as nature restoration, and mitigation against climate risks. A very encompassing, quite broad definition. That's in contrast, perhaps, a little bit to green skills. And these are the technical skills, knowledge, behaviours and capabilities required to live in, develop and support a sustainable and resource-efficient society. Now, that is drawn from UNIDO and IEMA. There, though, you're talking about skills that we as citizens will hold and in addition to what you might have at work.
0: Well, look, in one sense, what we call green skills are simply future skills. And Here's Professor Dave Ray again talking about a point someone made at a recent green skills conference he was part of.
3: We had a plenary and someone stood up in the audience and said, we've been talking about green skills, and actually they're not green skills, are they? They're just future skills. They're just what we need to deliver on the future we want. But they were right. And just saying you need to get some green skills to get a green job to most people will not be clear what that means, but also is likely to be exclusive.
0: Now, this thing about green skills being future skills is certainly true for some of the professional groups who are critical for sustainability, Michael. It is. And I think
2: as we move forward, that's what we'll just view them as, as future skills it won't just be green it'll be green plus digital or green plus digital and design and other aspects of other skills as we start to morph to a different way of working and different jobs difficult predict but I think you can see the core of those occupations emerging now and the core skills that people require to be successful in them
0: And finally, why is this all so important? Well, to answer that, let's go back to Martin Baxter of IEMA, who is also a member of the Green Jobs Delivery Group, to help us sum it all up. Talk to you next time.
1: Not only do we need to probably double the amount of electricity that we generate in the UK, but also all of that needs to be net zero. So we need a massive increase in renewables, four times more offshore wind needed between now and 2030, five time increase in the solar generation between now and 2035. Nuclear is an important part of the government's plans, That whole transformation of our power system. And that's really important because we're also making significant changes in our transport system as well. A huge move to electrification of transport and mobility. With that, of course, we need the infrastructure in order to give people the ability to charge. And if we don't have the charging infrastructure in place, nobody's going to buy an electric vehicle. The other one in terms of a really significant change is heating, and potentially as we see the effects of climate change cooling as well. We have aging and aged housing stock here in the UK, And the question is, how do we retrofit those to be able to also contribute to our net zero requirements as well? Big changes needed in agriculture and food production, not just from a climate change perspective, but also when we start to look at water quality, water availability, the way in which we use land and impacts on nature. And technology will be important as well. And we're starting to see some of those. But it's also logistics, it's fashion, it's healthcare. Every single sector is going to have to play its role.
0: Thank you for listening to this City and Guild's Green Edge podcast. This podcast is produced by The Green Edge, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com.